0: Defeated in his attempt to war against God, fallen from heaven, chained in the fiery muck of hell, Milton's Satan, nonetheless declares what though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will and study of revenge, immortal hate and courage never to submit or yield. And what is else not to be overcome from Wyoming Catholic college. This is the After Dinner Scholar, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. The romantics of the 19th century saw Satan as the real hero of Paradise Lost, a mighty warrior who will not accept defeat, will not apologize for his rebellion, insists on fighting on against impossible odds, and asserts his inner convictions, his inner identity, no matter what. Others are not so sure. Earlier this semester, Professor Adam Cooper taught Paradise Lost to our Wyoming Catholic juniors, debating, among other things, the character of Satan and his demon hordes. Paradise Lost begins not in paradise, of course, but in hell with Satan and his angels having been cast out of heaven, lying in, quote, hideous ruin and combustion, down to bottomless perdition, there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire. Close quote. Yet Satan doesn't despair and in fact rallies the troops. Tell us about Milton's understanding of Satan and his minions and the nature of evil. It's amazing that the, the first look at
1: Satan that we get in Paradise Lost. I think it's kind of unforgettable. In he's like a, a leader, a general, who has seen dark battles and major setbacks, has, has led his minions to his followers or his fellows uh, to, to some places that they, uh, well, through some horrible stuff but he's and and they're all d- chained at the bottom of the fiery lake uh but he's, he's one of, he looks like one of these generals that just can't be beaten he's going he's going to rise again take stock of even a difficult situation and speak hope to his men rally them together uh and and lead them to the next hill so uh Many readers of Paradise Lost have taken this for a uh, the hero of the poem. As, as you said, it's hard to see a f- despair in uh, his his posture. In fact, it's easy to see something, a certain, even a s- certain beauties in him. I mean, Milton describes him as sort of, he was he was archangel fallen and maybe he wasn't a star or a sun but like the strange awesome light of an eclipse he's beautiful in that way but in a, as a kind of kind of having still possessing some kind of ontological beauty but he's also he also seems to have something like moral beauty something that looks like moral beauty he, he has deep gashes of thunder through his cheeks but he sets his, his cheeks against uh, his enemy. He feels pity for, the, for what his followers have lost. And he has to overcome the desire to weep for them. But also doesn't give yield to that pity. Instead, tries to give them words of encouragement that will get them up off their feet and doing something Uh, That looks
0: noble. Um, Well, he calls a leadership council to discuss what to do next. What are the suggestions and what do they finally decide? Uh,
1: We get a wonderful demonology from Milton here. A whole bunch of different ways of turning away from God or different ways in which the mind or the will might try to find a path apart from God and... First of all, there's Moloch, who's a big, gigantic, giant Hulk-like demon who he's just wants to throw his weight back into battle again, and lightning might be falling around me, wrath might be pouring down on me, and it might annihilate me, but it's much better than sitting here in torment, as long as, even if I could be annihilated. I I want to go down, feeling the force of my power pushing back. Where on an almost opposite side comes Belial, who's a sort of smooth-talking, mild, persuasive demon who says, well, you know, used to be a lot worse. God used to be throwing lightning at us. Maybe if we just find a little corner off in in hell, we can quietly, uh, it's not the best place to live, but we could get used to it and find ways to enjoy it. And eventually we'd get acclimated to the darkness so that even these painful things would become pleasurable. And you can see that both of these pathways where Moloch's saying, let's throw ourselves into battle and be annihilated. And Belial, let's get acclimated to the corners of darkness. They're sort of pathways into non-being in some way. What looks to me like the most persuasive devil before uh, Satan speaks is mammon. Um, And I think there's many ways in which mammon has created our world. Uh, Mammon is a, he likes projects. He likes building things. And like Belial, his idea is maybe we can't live in the empire of God, but out of our own resources and intelligence and the stuff that's around us in hell, we can build a kingdom in emulation opposite to heaven. And we'll make things out of our own intelligence and resources that are as good and for us Will forget the better thing in this thing that's as good, and and it will be better because it comes from us and not and not from him. Actually, it seems to me that Belial, uh, Belial's proposition of this kind of going off into the dark corner and enjoying your own little pleasurable thing could be very easily reconciled with Mammon's. Um, just certain people will be builders and architects in this world and they'll provide pleasures for these other people who will live a quiet, lazy existence, forgetting about the bigger world. But Satan's proposal, Satan, the heroic leader who uh, won't accept a compromise in which we do our own quiet thing apart from God, he proposes another that will require him flying alone through the gulf of chaos and slipping incognito into the new world God has created and daring the like Moloch, daring the wrath of God by getting getting out of hell his proposal prevails I say, and I say it's a heroic because he he in fact he says the reason why i preside over this kind of parliament in hell is that i stand in a place where the the highest seat of a rebellion that's the place where lightning is most likely to strike so no one no one will envy me my rule here because it's actually bad to be here so uh, my hierarchy will be safer than the hierarchy of heaven where it's good to be in charge uh interesting convoluted logic but it looks so it looks heroic he's daring horrible things and he thinks that he can actually but this is what this is what his plan is more basically that if you actually sort of take the turn off the spotlights that are making him seem so large and and grand, he wants, his eyes are on Adam and Eve, who are this weaker, weaker creatures uh, than himself. And he thinks, I can't actually, as Moloch is proposing, go to open war against God. It would never work, he's omnipotent. But maybe I can take revenge on him, by leading astray, hurting, and turning these weaker creatures against their creator in a way that will destroy them and perhaps cause pain in the heart of God. Uh, there's a point where he tells the demons, let's take counsel and find what resolution, what, what, um, what new purpose we can gain from hope or if not, what resolution from despair? And it seems to me that not only has he cut off from the good that is his source and end, and by losing God and losing his being within God, he has no hope of good. He also knows that he has no hope of breaking down the rule of God. So he has to somehow create what would at least look like a hope. What can He can't change the order of the universe, but maybe he can tell a story in which he could be a hero and in which the demons could think that they were doing something that would hurt God. It seems to me that when, well, when, uh, when he's finally alone with himself in his soliloquy in book four, it's the first time he's not speaking before an audience. He acknowledges that There's nothing he can really do to better his condition. There's no good for him to seek. And therefore, any narrative of hope that he tells to himself and others is a deception for them or a deception for himself. So it seems like actually that in itself to kind of have to give himself to a story that he can't in the deep depths of his being believe in is he's actually tormenting himself with the, the stories of hope and heroism uh, that he tells himself and his fellow fellow demons, because in every narrative of hope that he spends the, in the depths of his soul, in order to keep going, in the depths of his soul, he doesn't believe them and it just throws him back on his despair. In his in his very first, the very first speech of hope Milton gives the devil very first speech in the poem, it ends with him saying, thus spake Satan, vaunting
0: aloud, but within racked with deep despair. While some people have said that he's the greatest character in the poem, C.S. Lewis suggests that he's right along an object of ridicule. He actually gets kind of dumber and dumber as the poem goes along. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, at the the beginning of the poem you see him rising off of the gulf of of hell this heroic figure still a darkened form of an angel as i as i've said his great heroic mission is actually i can't actually change something maybe i can spite god some way and hurt a weaker creature when he then when he finds himself in Eden, he has to take on the shape of a toad and then a serpent. And when he sees the beauty of the sun, he envies this bright light that's simply just radiating because it's its nature to radiate. It He used to be much higher than the sun, but now he can envy this even uh, unconsciously radiant being that's just dwelling, fulfilling its purpose in the order of God. And similarly, when he sees Eve, whom he's about to seduce and do his best to destroy, he's so taken with the beauty of this mind kind of resting and at play and and her whole human form uh, resting and at play in the gifts that God gives that He's uh, he's taken out of, he's taken out of himself, and he's stupidly good for a second, and then and then reverts back to his vengeful plan. And it seems as though he's clearly not in control of his of his mission. At the end, uh, he descends into hell to to be greeted by his fellow demons, who have he's successfully kind of won a reach. A hand reach for them in our world, where they'll now inhabit. They can kind of drift out of literal hell and begin to set up a kingdom of domination in our world. He comes back uh, and they're all, they're tr- about to cheer him. He's waiting for them to, waiting for this accolade of cheers from his followers. And instead he hears a hiss because God has turned them all into snakes. Uh, and uh, so he gets hissed by his by his own followers. Yeah. So it seems as though yeah from the very beginning, Milton wants us to to see how beautiful and impressive and noble seeming are the narratives Satan tells, but also to see that they're based on a lie and a lie that actually Satan is telling to himself and can never himself quite believe. So that when he first shows us the great gigantic figure rising off the lake, then he says, and he never would have been able to rise off of the lake if God hadn't allowed him to do so. And allowed him to do so because he would, all the evil things he was attempting to do would work to God's greater glory and to greater love and goodwill to humankind, and would heap further damnation on the head of the enemy.
0: Uh, and that's the
1: only reason why he ever, he, like, even lifted his head a little bit above the surface of the lake.
0: Well, and if our listeners want to know more, they're going to just have to, they're just going to have to sit down and read Paradise Lost. <laughs> a silly idea is current, wrote C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Close quote. That's an interesting thought as we consider Satan and his demons in Paradise Lost, and as we consider our own lives now that the initial excitement of Lent has given way to all sorts of temptations to relax our discipline and intentions. It seems to me that C.S. Lewis and John Milton would agree with St. Catherine of Siena, who observed, nothing great is ever achieved without much endurance. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.